As I mentioned, uh, we are in a really exciting series right now that is sort of um, laying the groundwork for the vision of who we are as people, who we are as Christians. It's entitled This Way of Life, um, and, and we're really asking the question, what does it mean to be a Christian, and, and what are we to do, and then how are we to do it? And so in order to set an introduction for this week, I was just going to read what we read last week, which is the Great Commission that Jesus gives to his disciples in Matthew 28. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What we read last week is this piece of the, the scripture as, as translated by Eugene Peterson in the message where he says to, to go and invite everyone you meet and train them in this way of life, which I just thought was this beautiful poetry of what we're actually aiming for as believers is to go and meet and invite and train people into this way of life. What way of life? This one that Jesus laid out for us. So last week we talked about making an intentional invitation. We began praying using the cards that are on your seats for three people that we might have the opportunity to impact along the journey, whether that's to invite them to faith overall, or that's just to display Christ to them intentionally with the hopes that God would make a way that we could intentionally invite them. And so we started there. Today we're talking about this other aspect of this, this training, making disciples. What does it mean to intentionally disciple others? And so I would challenge you, think of a a sponge, like just a normal kitchen the yellow with the green sponge. Drop it in a pool of liquid, what happens to a dry sponge? Soaks it up. Immersed in liquid, the sponge soaks it up. In fact, I would argue, the sponge actually becomes a carrier of the thing it was dropped into. Because it's now full, and if you pick that same sponge up out of that liquid, is it dry again? No, it's soaked through. And so it becomes a carrier, and it can actually go, and if you walk it across the room, it can make, if you squeeze it, it'll make a deposit into something else. And you can actually move the liquid from one jar to the other using a sponge. So when Jesus says to baptize them, the word baptizo meaning immerse, Jesus says immerse them. He he says welcome them into the family by immersion. Welcome them into this community, into this way of life. Do it by immersion. A, symbolically, as they go into the water, they're immersed in the water and they come up. And there's a symbol, a beautiful picture of of life being found anew. But he's also saying, immerse them. Soak them in this way of life. Soak them all the way through so that they might take on the fullness of this way of life. And be indistinguishable from it so that as they walk across the room, they are now not only um, who they were, but they become a carrier of the life that they've been soaked into. And they can distribute that life to others. Deposit something in them that they can then deposit in another is what Christ is saying. This reminded me uh, in college when I took my first Italian class. There was no English spoken in the class, which was very interesting. I was dropped into a sea of language. I was immersed. I was given a new name. We were not allowed to keep our English names. We had to have Italian names. And so the teacher went around and learned our English names and changed it. And it's italicized it. Is that the right word? I don't think that's the right word. She gave us a new name. So you say, my name is Kyle. She goes, ah, ah, in Italiano. And you go, I don't know. 
I'm taking the class. I, you're supposed to teach me. But, but the whole idea was we were immersed in order to learn something, in order to learn to navigate the waters of a different language. We were just thrown into the language. What I needed along the way, I needed an instructor who would teach it to me, enseñante. I needed her. She would begin to give me the very basic principles, the, the basic building blocks of this language. She taught us everything, really, including the fact that Italians always look at your shoes. She said in, in the simplest Italian she could manage for us so we could understand it with pictures on the board. She goes, you see a man from 10 feet and you can't tell if his suit is a $300 suit or a $3,000 suit. But she says, Italians will tell you, if you look at your shoes, you will certainly know. And I went, oh. and every 19-year-old in dirty old flip-flops curled their feet under their desk at that moment. It was too late. We'd already been found out. I needed her. I needed an instructor. I also needed classmates to learn with, me and Michi. We'd work through it arm in arm. We'd go through it together. We'd struggle together. We'd complain together. We'd learn together. We'd discover together. Long study nights, long complaining sessions. We had to do this together. And then third, most importantly, I actually needed someone to lead, someone to teach, alumno. I needed someone that I could give my knowledge, all this that I'd soaked up, I needed someone I could go and deposit it into. Because as anyone who's ever taught anything will tell you, you don't really know something until you've had to teach it. I learned Italian by immersion, not by program or professor. And I would tell you today, oggi il mio italiano è non è perfetto, ma non è male per un ragazzo para Texas, especially since I've never been to Rome. It's not bad. It's not great. If you drop me in Italy right now, could I survive? Mm, maybe. But because of being immersed in it, it soaked through. When she handed me a 500-page book in Italian and said, you will read it, and then you will give a report on it, I went, oh. And then with surprising ease, you read it, and you go, this actually makes sense to me. And then you start dreaming, and you dream in Italian, and you go, wait a minute. And it's what immersion feels like. My faith is no different. I was saved at the age of 16. I was thrown into the pool, the sea of Christianity. The difference was I spent seven years largely drowning in that sea. I was immersed, but not intentionally. It was incidental immersion. Incidental immersion, if you think about it this way, leads to drowning. Throw someone in a pool and don't teach them to swim, what does it lead to? It leads to either drowning or someone kind of dog paddling their way out of the pool to get to the side and be like, I don't want to go back there. That was scary and I don't get it. And this is important for us as believers. This is important for us as a church to recognize that this is our responsibility here. If there is a new believer and we throw them into the pool and go, well, I don't know, I figured it out. We are inviting them to drown or to claw their way out of the pool and never come back. Second thing that is true is that if we don't disciple people, the culture will. It already is. The apostles today are called marketers. And the way of life that they are training people into is one of consumption and materialism. And if we don't disciple people, culture will. So I'm seven years into my barely treading water, hanging on journey as a Christian. I don't know what I'm doing in this pool. No one's ever taught me anything. I'm, I'm just kind of figuring it out on my own, which means not doing very well. 
And I land in South Africa. And a man named Pastor Willie disciples me, picks me up from the airport. And without saying it in so many words, he says, you're just going to do this life with me. Because I was a missionary and I didn't know what a missionary was. And he says, don't worry, just come with me. And so we ate together and we visited the dying in hospitals and we fed people in their, their tin shacks and we'd, we'd go on this program and we'd go on this crusade and we'd, we just did whatever he did. People always ask me, what'd you do as a missionary? And I just go, whatever he did. And it was great. Some of the sweetest moments of my life are eating with this man, 35 years older than me. Just sharing a table with him, watching what he does, listening to, asking questions, just having time and space. Soaking him up, as it were. In March, he was in Cincinnati. He was visiting a church there to speak at some missions conference. And he tells me he's going to be in Cincinnati, and he's sorry he doesn't have any time, but he knows I'm in Ohio, and I don't, he doesn't really know what Ohio even is, but he's here. And he says, is it close to you? And I said, well, sort of. He says, well, they told me I have 90 minutes. So I totally made the six-hour round trip to go spend 90 minutes with him. Because I just wanted to soak him up. Anything you can give someone, when someone loves you, leads you, disciples you, you yearn to soak that up. Some of the best laughs we ever had were just in soaking. This this strange thing happens in South Africa. There's a lot of door-to-door sales that still happen. And people sell all kinds of things at every intersection, every... uh, people walking through neighborhoods, they'll just have an armful of like phone chargers. The next person will have an armful of scarves. And you're like, you're in Africa, but it's okay. And just over and over, people selling all kinds of strange things. This one guy continually came to the church. He was smart because at the church, you get a whole lot more sympathy than when you knock on someone's front door. And he had a backpack and, and he would knock and we'd let him in and, and he'd say, I'm here to sell you something. I, I hope you have some money. And we'd say, okay, well, what is it? And he'd open up his backpack, you know, just an old kind of dingy school bag. And in it, he would start pulling out meat. I have steaks, I have some pork, chicken, and you're like, that's kind of not the right color for chicken. And yet you have sympathy and you go, well, let's, we'll pick the best thing we can. And so Pastor Willie looks at me and I'm wasting away because I'm surviving on uh, one meal a day usually, and it's usually a peanut butter sandwich. And he says, well, he needs a steak. So you know what? I'm going to buy your steak. So he buys the steak. We go back to his house for lunch. He goes, you're going to have a steak lunch today. I'm, like, I'm good with that. Protein. Even from that guy's backpack, I'll take it. Please cook it through. And so we go, and he goes, I'm going to grill the steak for you. And I get really excited because I haven't had grilled meats in a while. And I'm, so I'm like this famished refugee-looking kid sitting in his living room. And he pulls out his grill like this. And it says George Foreman right on top. If you're not familiar with the George Foreman grill, it is really a hot plate on a slant that is designed to cook out every ounce of fat, flavor, and moisture from your meat. He slaps these two backpack steaks onto the George Foreman grill not long after, lifts them up, looks like shoe leather, I don't care. Try to cut into it, break a couple knives, finally get his first bite in. He gets his first bite. I'm watching him because I'm not really sure what's happening at this point. He takes his first bite, immediately spits it out, and he goes, yes, that's donkey meat! To which I say, I don't know if he's joking. 
I taste it. I said, it's like, like real donkey meat. And he's, he flies off the handle and says, donkey meat. He sold us donkey meat. I'm going to go find him. We're going to get him. And he goes on this long rant. Meanwhile, I'm just going, I don't know what it is, but it's protein. And to this day, if I bring up this man, he'll immediately go into the same rant. And I learn strange things from these kind of interactions about providing for someone even in something you don't need. There, there's value in that. I didn't need this, but he needed what I had for him. And I soaked that in. I didn't, he didn't teach me the lesson because he said, listen, sometimes when people have things you don't need, you buy them anyway because it supplies for their livelihood and it encourages them along their walk. He never said that. He said, this is donkey meat, and he threw it out the window. And yet, I'm soaking. Dropped into a sea of Christianity, and finally I had someone teaching me how to swim, and he said, now go and do what I'm doing. Do likewise. And so it wasn't Italian anymore. Now I was having to deal with people who spoke all different languages. So there was Afrikaans and Hosa. The Zulu speakers were different. Everybody had a different culture. Someone else I had to, but I, I had this trainer who kept saying, no, no, for them you say this, and for them you do that. And these, they're fighters. You have to be careful. I didn't know anything. But immediately, because I was with him, the whole community saw me as a leader. As his disciple, the immediate call upon my life in that community was to make disciples. People said, well, you spend time with him. You must know something. I'm going to ask you this question. It was the rabbinical model being played out in modern times. Jesus gives immersion training to his disciples. He calls them, and they follow him. They drop their nets. They eat with him. They minister with him. They ask questions of him. After three years, they know how to live lives that are just like his. So when he says, go and do likewise, they can. When he sends them off in pairs, they know what's expected of them. They're capable. The existence of this is not revolutionary. It's called an apprenticeship. This is how, in Jesus' day, in our day, this is how you learn any craft. Apprenticeship. The difference is that our craft is Christ. To be immersed in the family comes with the implicit expectation that we would make disciples as we grow. See, modern Christianity fails when we separate faith and following. When we take faith and separate it from following, we fail the whole system. We were saved to be sanctified. We were accepted so as to be assigned this calling. And people will protest and they will say, but I can't make disciples. I don't know enough. Look, I'm not a theologian. I haven't studied this thing. I haven't read that book. I don't know. Are you willing to walk through life with another? Jesus invited some guys to go for a walk. He essentially said, follow me and let's run across life together. Let's run across donkey meat together and see what we do with it. Let's learn and laugh and discover together. If you are a follower of Christ, you can do that. Well, yeah, I got this issue in my life or I still haven't kicked this habit or you don't. Jesus shines through imperfect people every day. I was a scared kid in South Africa. I was clueless. Pastor Willie says, walk with me. I would meet people in the city as we were walking, doing life together. We would meet people, and he would never introduce me as his American missionary or, or this person who would visited from Texas. He would never introduce me that way. We'd meet someone new, the banker. Everyone knew him. 
And they say, who's this? And he says, this is my Timothy. And I'll be like, well, my name's Kyle, but. It was an honor. What does he mean by that? Reading Paul's letter to Timothy, reading the book of Acts, you see that Paul discipled a young man named Timothy. Brought him up, poured into him, gave him everything he needed to know. Paul had a Timothy. As a result, Timothy had a Paul. Someone who took a chance on him. And we'll talk more about Timothy later this month. Someone who took a chance on a guy who no one else was going to take a chance on. And said, I'm going to pour into you and watch as God works through you. There was a leader and a learner. A disciple making disciples. Paul also had a Barnabas. As you read the New Testament, you see that Paul and Barnabas were these friends who journeyed together. And while they eventually went their separate ways, Paul and Barnabas were this powerful duo. They walked together, challenged each other, ministered alongside one of another. They were friends. Friends to walk alongside in this life are crucial. What we learn is it's not an either or. So am I, am I Paul or am I Timothy? Am I going to be someone who like makes a disciple or do I still need to be a disciple? And scripture doesn't lay out an either or where you're one or the other. Scripture says yes. As Christians, we are to be learners and leaders and friends all at once. Young Christians say, but who could I lead? You know when a couple is having their first baby, the 26-year-olds that live next door with a six-month-old are like geniuses, right? They've done this before. And yet the person with grown kids that are out of the house look at the couple with the six-month-old and go, oh, they got a lot to learn. For the kids starting high school, the 15-year-old sophomore is like a king. I'd give my right arm to sit at that lunch table. And that's the way it goes. Everyone can lead someone. Everyone can intentionally pour their life into another. Mature Christians also have this question. They say, well, who can lead me? You know, I'm running out of Pauls around here. We all have people we can learn from. We all have people we can soak up. I was talking about this idea with the elders. I was laying out kind of this, this schematic of, of what it would look like to, to really challenge us as a community to live this way. And Craig Dixon was really quiet. One of our elders finished our talk, and at the end, he just said, there's someone I need to call. I said, that's interesting. One of the most accomplished guys I know, decades following Jesus, growing companies, leading men and women across this region. And we finish a talk about everyone must be a disciple still. And his response is like, man, this is going to be hard for me. His response is, yeah, I know who it is. There's someone I need to call. See if, see if I can rekindle that and, and stay plugged into that. Recognized he still needed to be a learner. And he was in so many ways, but the intentionality of it is what changed. We are all in formation with people we can learn from. So be a learner. Who is your Paul? Do they know it? Ask them if you can be more intentional in learning from them. Be a leader. Who's your Timothy? Do they know it? God has gifted you uniquely with a story and experience with talents that you can give away.
Eugene Peterson said it this way. He said, to follow Jesus implies that we enter into a way of life, a way of life that is given character and shape and direction by the one who calls us. To follow Jesus means picking up rhythms and ways of doing things that are often unsaid, but always derivative from Jesus, formed by the influence of Jesus. To follow Jesus means that we can't separate what Jesus is saying from what Jesus is doing and the way that he is doing it finishes with this which i think is profound he says to follow jesus is as much or maybe even more about feet as it is about ears and eyes jesus told his followers go make disciples go immerse them into my family teach them to observe all that i've commanded you which must include the thing he just commanded them to do which is to go and make disciples in a world of incidental living we are charged as believers to live deeply intentional lives make disciples that's how paul challenged timothy second timothy 2 he starts with this he says you then timothy my child my child term of affection be strengthened by the grace that is in christ jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also you break that down and you what does it say paul tells timothy stay rooted in christ and then take what i taught you and teach it to others but don't just teach it to them teach it to them so that they might teach it to others why because we carry on the craft of the christ life and so we must have an apprentice to give it to the next generation we must have an apprentice that we might show This is the biblical model, to train people who can train people, to teach people who can teach people, to lead people who might lead people. It's not a program, it's not a fad, there is no discipleship class that after eight weeks you are done and you're full on, you're done. There is only Jesus saying, as you go about your business, make making disciples your business. As you do your work in the day, know that your real work is making disciples. As you send your emails, as you receive the phone call, as you go to the meeting, as you you parent your children, as you go about living, make sure that you're living to make disciples. Train everyone in this way of life. What makes this hard for us is it's irresolvable. As humanity, we love things that resolve. There's no more frustrating line in the history of humanity than to be continued at the end of your favorite television show. Back before Netflix existed, that meant you had to wait a week to watch it. Or more, at the end of the season, to be continued, I have to wait till next year? Why? We want resolution. What happens? I cannot count how many times I've heard in my house, just tell me how it ends. Resolution matters. That's what makes Netflix easy. There are these little resolvable chunks when we watch a show I can watch this one and feel good, and then this one and feel good. And every time I finish one, I accomplish something. And relationship doesn't resolve that way. Sports seasons resolve. TV shows resolve. Christian relationship never resolves. Make disciples never resolves. Train them in this way of life never resolves. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to intentionally invite people and intentionally disciple people to train them. To train them. God has gifted you with this story, with this experience, with this calling, so you might share it. 
Leadership is influence. A lot of famous people have said that. I think John Maxwell said it first. But they say leadership is influence. Nothing more, nothing less. Every person in here influences others. What you lead them to is up to you. Who are you intentionally pouring into, leading on the path to Jesus? Parents in here will say, do my kids count? Or does this have, is this like, does it have to be somebody else? To which I will say, religion. Yes, your kids count. In fact, I would say your kids are primary. And so if you have a house full of kids, your first discipleship responsibilities as parents is those who live in your home. And if God should give you the time and the blessing and the surplus that you have others that you can lead, that you can love, that you can influence them by all means. The reality is when you walk intentionally with someone else, it does not embarrass them. We're so afraid of embarrassing somebody and going, hey, would, you, you want to just start coming over for dinner once a month? You and your wife want to come and hang out with us every couple weeks? And we think it's like somehow in our head we get this mind like, well, to disciple someone has to tell them that they're like inferior. There's a study recently that came out about what millennials want from church. There's a couple interesting things that came out of it. First, the, the number one religious affiliation of American millennials, they call them the nuns. Not N-U-N, but N-O-N-E-S. Because when they check a survey that says, what is your religious affiliation? 36% of millennials check none. For those that go to church, they say, well, why do you go? What is it you're, what are you looking for? The number one thing is mentorship. Someone to lead me. Someone to tell me how to do this life. I'm, I'm swimming in the sea by myself. I don't know what I'm doing. And we always get it in our head that this next generation thinks they got it all figured out, and they think they got it all figured out, and they think they got it all figured out. And we finally even have one that says, you know what, I don't know anything. Just somebody lead me. People are desperate to be led. You were designed with community in mind. No one in here was designed to walk alone. You're called to be friends, partners with others on the journey. So the question is, who are you walking with? Who are you encouraging? Who are you discovering life next to? So be a friend. Who is your Barnabas? Do they know it? So last week we filled out a, one side of this card that's on your seat. If you have your card, would you hold it up so I can make sure everybody got one? I got one here. And so this was a tool. It's a tool that we are giving you that you might fill it out and place it in a prominent position. If you have yours from last week, half is already filled out. If you don't, now you can have two. If you need to make adjustments, we got plenty. So last week we said we wanted to do intentional invitation, which is this side with the three little profiles on it. And what we ask you to do is say, who is it that you're praying for that needs to find this way of life? And as you pray for them, would you pray for these three names, whoever that is, that you might have a chance to display Jesus to them and maybe even invite them into their next step of faith? And that was the side with the little profiles. This week, we turn our attention to these arrows. We're talking about intentional discipleship. The up arrow asks the question, who are you learning from? Who are you looking up to? Who is mentoring you or discipling you? The side arrow says, who are you walking with? 
Who are you? Um, who are you a true friend to? Who are you partnering with? Who are you doing life with? When stuff goes wrong, when everything goes sideways, a good way to answer who this person is is who do you call? And if the answer is, I don't know, then we got to fill that blank in. The down arrow is who are you pouring into? Who are you leading? Who are you mentoring? Who are you discipling? Ultimately, this card is just a card. I said if you put it on your fridge, it'll be covered in coupons in a week or two. It goes on your dashboard. You'll just stop seeing it eventually. It requires intentionality because this is about intentional living, about living the life, this way of life that Christ has given us. One side is intentionally looking to share Christ. The other is intentionally looking to live out this life as a disciple who makes disciples. God has given us a mission to know Jesus and make him known. To intentionally use our days to invite people to faith and then train them in this way of life. So I say, ci è stata data una buona vita. Facciamo il massimo. Which is, we have been given a good life. Let us make the most of it together. Be a learner, be a leader, be a friend. Be disciples who make disciples. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. God, thank you for our rescue. For plucking us from uh, the sea of sin and dropping us into a sea of salvation. For taking the penalty of our waywardness and our running of our fallenness. Thank you for sacrifice. Thank you for making a way that we might know you, and even now that you might be listening to us. Father, we are humbled in that. We pray as a community that we might be humbled enough to take on the work that you've given us intentionally, to follow the words of your Son, to go and train people in this way of life, to live lives that are intentionally about discipling others, to wrestle back from culture those that we love and give them a new kind of culture, a counterculture, a Jesus culture. Father, I pray that you would convict us in the places where our pride wants to stand in the way and make excuses. I pray that you would challenge us to do difficult things that are out of the norm for us in our normal American habits. God, I pray ultimately that this would not really be about us. That as we live the life you've called us to, that as we become disciples who make disciples, as we invite people intentionally into this way of life, Father, that it would be about you, that it would be about your glory, and it would be a swell of your goodness and your grace, that this city would be overtaken and overcome by you. Father, our eyes are only on ourselves long enough that we might turn them to those around us. So help us get right that we might go and make right a world that has gone wrong. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus and we pray in his name. Amen. We're going to continue with uh, Lord's Supper with communion.